When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. That's why they're getting kicked out. It's not that we, we don't want to repeat these things. And so don't do that. Um, it's, the next section is a little silly. Um, it seems silly to me that we'd have to, he would have to actually say these things to, to them, but he does. And so we'll, we'll read them. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Not supposed to burn your children. Okay, uh, or one who practices witchcraft, really don't like that. Or a soothsayer, or one who uh, interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. None of that's good. That's why he says, for all, uh, verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And that's, that's then and that's now too. We, don't, we still don't get to do those things. Um, Again, like I said, it's kind of silly you'd have to tell people that. Like, why would you have to write down and tell the nation of Israel, whatever you do, don't serve Moloch. That's the God. They would heat up until he's blazing hot, this metal God made of bronze, and his arms are outstretched. They'd set their babies on these things and let the babies die and burn to death, thinking they were offering up a sacrifice to this God and then encouraging, you know, that's going to make my next baby, Moloch says anyway, a better baby. So I'm like getting a better baby, a more concentrated baby if I kill the first baby ridiculous, you know. Um, and then here I sit, 2018, in the United States of America, where we do the same thing. And we have Christians who should know better, but have to be told in church services that you're not supposed to kill babies. It seems kind of silly that you'd have to say that out loud. Everybody kind of knows you don't kill babies, but we have to tell people now, don't kill babies. It's my body. No, that's not your body. This is your body. This little body's in you. You don't get to touch it. You don't get to harm it. It's unbiblical, um, but there are Christians that still think it's okay, and so you have to tell them, and we have to take time out to say, by the way, don't steal. You can't take other people's stuff. Nope, you can't take other people's stuff. It's not yours. The Bible says so. Don't murder. You're not supposed to murder. Nope, you're not supposed to murder. Not supposed to commit adultery either? No, not supposed to commit adultery. It's ridiculous that he has to say these things, and yet he does. Because somewhere along the line, the nation of Israel does fall into these customs later on. He's saying this because he knows the heart of man. He knows that the heart of man is susceptible to compromise in little areas at first, and sin builds. And if you take that compromise and you move over here, it's a little easier to take the road the next time over here. Well, you know, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, no one's going to die. It only harms me. It doesn't harm anybody else. It's just for, and pretty soon you find yourself, well, here I am burning my kids. You don't think it would end up there, but that's where it ends up. And God knows that. And so he warns them, I don't want that to take place. I want you to watch that. Don't learn, and you do have to learn it. Because everybody knows innately that you're not supposed to do those things. God's law is hidden in our hearts. But we have to learn to bypass that conviction of the Holy Spirit and decide on purpose to do these things. Contrary to God. Don't learn those things. So guard yourself against learning those things. If you found yourself waffling or moving in any direction other than God's will, God's word, be careful. Pull yourself back from that because it doesn't stop there. That That'll progress into a worse sin until we reach one of these points here. It also tells us that how unhappy he is with all these other things, witchcraft, sorcery, and all these conjuring spells. I mean, well, that's their thing. Let them do their thing, whatever makes them happy. No. 
No, it's wrong. And it's not to be in the nation of Israel at all. Stop that. And so as Christians, we don't get to add or take away from what God's called us to do, and what he's showed us to do as far as worship goes. We don't get to add to it. Well, I think this is okay. I think that'd be all right. I think, he'd, I think the man upstairs would enjoy this. Or, no. No, he's not the man upstairs. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, he's, he's our boss. He's our maker. Um, and he's told us exactly what he likes and what he doesn't. So no, none of these things can be can be justified. Verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, drives them out from before you. That's why they're being evicted. That's why the land is being taken from them. This is somebody else's land. The Israelites have said, I don't care whose land it was before, God gave them the land now. It's not an issue anymore. And if they do evil in the sight of the Lord, believe me, he showed us, he's demonstrated it. He'll move them out and move other people in. And he'll keep doing that. He's looking for people that are after his own heart. He's looking for people that will be obedient to him. He wants to bless people. He wants to pour out his, but he can't bless sin and he won't bless it. He wants people to be obedient. And so he's called them to this. Stay away from that stuff. I want you to live here a long time. Generation after generation, he says that over and over again. I want your kids' kids to experience the blessing of me and to be in obedience to me. And so watch this. Don't get yourself caught up in this stuff. Don't learn it. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, verse 13. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So instead of listening to God, they were listening to these mediums and these spiritists telling them what to do. And these spiritists and these mediums, since they weren't worshiping God, were hearing from somebody else or from themselves and therefore leading the people away from God and his will. He's going to build on this. He's going to talk about prophets next because we don't call them soothsayers necessarily. We, don't call, we call them prophets now. But God says, still, even if you call them prophets, there's two types of prophets. There's good prophets and there's lying prophets. Right. True and false. And you need to know the difference between the two. And so he, goes, he moves on to that. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb. In the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire anymore, lest I die. Remember that time when you guys didn't like the fire and the smoke and the thunder and he was too loud and you said, Please tell him to just talk to you and not to us? Well, he's going to give you a prophet that's going to do that. Now, we know this prophet to be Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of this prophecy. But some people don't think so. The Jews especially right now, those who have rejected Christ as their Savior, their Jewish Savior, Believe in this, that God will raise up a prophet like me, just like Moses. Now he is, Jesus was, a deliverer, just like Moses. He was fully man, fully God. Had all the attributes, but they had, no, 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 he's going to be like Moses, just a man, anointed to be a prophet, and he's going to do awesome things like the old prophets used to do. He's going to do signs and wonders and all these things like Elijah and Elisha, and all these guys did fantastic things. So will he. And so they're looking right now for that Messiah. Now, if you read Revelation, you'll understand that Satan will raise up somebody like that called the Antichrist, who will claim to be the Christ, who will do signs and wonders, who will be just a man under the power of evil, and they'll fall for it. Now, three and a half years into it, he reveals himself to be God sitting on the throne, and they realize they've made a tremendous mistake, and they'll, they'll leave him, and they'll be in trouble because he'll go after them. But, but, but you've got to watch out for that. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, Jesus, of course, 
and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. John 1.14, Jesus is the word become flesh. It's exactly what he said was going to happen. I'm going to raise up my prophet. Now, Jesus was more than a prophet. Don't, if you're visiting, don't misunderstand me. He's God come in the flesh, the only son. Understand that. We believe that. But he also was a prophet. He did that also. He moved in the gifts of prophecy. He told everybody what was going to happen. I mean, everything he said. Amazing. And so he was the word become flesh. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Let me, let me read that to you. I don't want to try to paraphrase that. That's a really good one. Not that any of them are bad, but, but I want to get it full, complete. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, um, who being the brightness and of his glory and expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance, inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Um, Jesus is the final word from God to us. He's the last prophet. Um, he's, we, have, we, have, we are within the bounds of Scripture now. There's nothing more being added to that anymore. Jesus is it. He's the final prophet. Um, and so this has all come to pass, this section right here in Deuteronomy, and we believe it's Jesus. Um, but those who don't are primed and ready for the Antichrist because he'll be a man. He'll have great powers. He'll look the part. He'll disguise himself as an angel of light, but in the end, uh, he won't be. He'll be uncovered. Uh, verse 20, but, you know, that's, that's truly who I'm going to send, but there are prophets that are otherwise. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How we can tell the difference between them? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Very simple test. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to have some kind of special intuition. I think what he's saying is true. No, we'll just wait and see. Didn't come to pass. You're a false prophet. Get against the wall. <laughs> and they throw rocks at him. But we don't do that anymore. But that's what they would do. You're dead. False prophets. God's prophets are 100%. They don't make mistakes. There's no 80% prophets. There's no 60% prophets. There's no 40% prophets. No matter what the Kansas City boys tell you, that's where they are. There's 100% prophets. Otherwise, they've spoken by presumption. And we remember, we've been discussing this. This has been coming up in God's word a lot about the, the, the guilt of presumption. When we assume we know what God wants to say and we say it, saying, thus saith the Lord, and we're wrong. It's come from our own hearts and not from God's. We're guilty of this guilt of presumption, this, uh, guilt of presumption here. We have to be very careful about that. We're taught that sometimes as Christians, to have this presumptuous nature in us. It's, uh, it's disguised in many different ways, and, and maybe you've been guilty of it. Now, there's grace and mercy, but we need to stop. What I mean by that is I just, I'm believing God for a healing. Okay, um, did God tell you that? Did God speak to you? I'm going to heal them and I want you to tell them that they're going to be healed. Okay, then by all means, you must, if God told you to say that, say that. But if you spoke from presumption, by faith, I believe, I'm speaking a word by faith, God's going to heal you, you better be right. 
Because if they don't get healed, you're a false prophet. Very important. Now, I want them to be healed. We desire them to be healed. I pray for people to be healed, but you know what? A lot of times they don't get healed. Paul had a sickness that he prayed three different times for it to be removed from him, and it didn't go, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, they didn't heal, but he would heal other people. And yet at other times, Paul left uh, sick in Miletus. He he left this brother sick. He he couldn't heal everybody anytime he felt like it, and it wasn't a lack of faith on his part. It is God has different purposes. I'll give you an example. There There was one of the blind people that they asked, why is he blind? Was it some sin that his mom and dad committed? Was it his sin? He says, no, he was blind so that the power of God might be revealed in him. Just cause. Now, we may have a hard time. You mean God does that stuff? Yep. God's word said he did. He let him be blind so that at that time Jesus could heal him and show his power and realize, oh, wow. Now, for those of you who are born again believers and followers of Jesus Christ, I don't know if I'd volunteer for that job, (laughs) but wouldn't that be cool? Why has this affliction come upon me? Because you're going to meet Jesus one day. And he's going to come upon you and he's going to lay his hands on you and you're going to get sight and everybody's going to know he is who he says he is. Do you want to be that person to be a proof? Absolutely. I serve Christ. That would be fantastic if I could be used in such a way. You know? It's awesome. So besides all that, false prophets, guard yourself. We have, we have, we had a couple that were, they don't come here anymore. We have a lot of couples that don't come here anymore. But we had a couple that don't come here anymore because their mentor said that I was a false teacher. I said, oh my gosh, what am I teaching that's false? I try to stay right here. What do they say? Well, because I'm not warning the people about what's happening in our country. I said, I think I spend a little too much time on that stuff sometimes. And some would nod and say, yeah, I think you do. Um, I said, well, what did I not warn them about? You didn't warn them about what's going to happen on October 24th. There's a date? You got a date? October 24th. Now you know that there are you know that there are maneuvers being manipulated by the government right now. Navy SEALs and special forces are dividing our country up into three different groups and the Walmarts that are shut down are going to be detention centers. I'm going, "Oy vey." The black helicopters and the whole works. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, no. Yeah, I'm guilty of not telling anybody about that stuff for sure." You got that right. I said, so when is this going to happen? October 24th. I said, well, let's just wait till the 25th and see. Very simple. I, if, I'm, if I'm negligent, great. But if you're a false prophet, you better run, buddy. No, we don't kill people anymore. But it'd be fun to chase them around the yard a little bit, wouldn't it? This is 2016, by the way, and we're all pretty good. I think we haven't been put in Walmart yet. But um, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to warn you. I want to warn you. They're not here anymore because they still believe him even though he was a liar, even though he's a false prophet. Be careful. Watch yourself. What difference does it make? So so what if they were? Revelation, my goodness, read chapter 6 through 19. It's going to get ugly here, and you don't want to be here for it. You won't be if you believe in Jesus Christ. But it's going to be uglier than any kind of conspiracy theory you could come up with. I mean, we're seeing a third of the trees, a third of the seas, a third of the people. We're seeing then halves, and it gets worse and worse from there. None of your conspiracies can even come close to that. So how do we test false prophets? First of all, they give a date, 
And then they move the date when they're wrong. False prophet. Now, I'm going to follow up with, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me believing that Jesus Christ is going to come back at any time. In fact, I don't know how we get out of 2019 without him coming back, the way things look around here. That's not a prophecy. I'm not telling you that God told me that Jesus is coming back in 2019. I have no idea. Nobody does. But I can still say it. Oh, I hope he comes back in 2019. I don't see how we're going to get past this. He's a false prophet. It didn't happen. No. He could come back 20, 30, 50, 100,000 years from now. I don't know when he's coming back, and neither does Jesus, by the way. He tells us that it's all in the Father's time, and only the Father knows the hour. I don't know when he's coming back again, but I look around and I watch the signs. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I see the way things are going. I'm like, I don't know if I believe in global warming or not, but I certainly believe global warming's going to happen. The Bible says it's going to burn with a fervent heat. So global warming will take place, whether we're having any impact on it or not. I have no idea. You, but I tell you this, you can't stop it. I don't care how much plastic you throw in the ocean. It's going to get ugly around here or don't throw in the ocean. I'm all for being a good steward. Don't misunderstand me. Be careful. Pick up your trash, all that stuff. Do what you can do. Recycle. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But the Bible's going to be true, and every man's going to be a liar. It's going to happen. You know, things are going to go south. The bigger thing is, you know, besides the black helicopters and the, and the Walmarts and the Navy SEALs, and can I put your mind at ease? How many of you guys were in the military or are in the military? Raise your hands right now. How many of you guys would follow an unlawful order? Thank you for keeping your hands down. Folks, our military is an amazing group of guys. They're amazing. I've worked with them. Not the special forces guys. I've seen them and been around them. They're the most patriotic bunch of guys you've ever met. And if they ever got orders to turn on you, whoever gave them that order, they're the, they're the biggest ones in trouble. They'd be the ones in the Walmart jails, okay? They're an amazing group of guys, Okay. Um, we'd have a civil war before any of that thing, just so you understand that, okay? Um, great folks. Um, they're I mean, just a bunch of rednecks with trucks is all they are. Just they've got authorization now, you know? <laughs> it's awesome. They're great guys and gals, excuse me. But anyway, oh, black helicopter. Let's move on. Chapter 19, the sin of presumption. Watch out for it. Don't, don't be nameless saying God said. If he didn't, he didn't. That's okay. You can say you wish it or you hope it or you pray for it. That's fine. But just, you know, don't say God said, uh, unless he really did, and then say it loudly. Chapter 19. Um, he's going to move on to cities of refuge. Sorry, we've hit this probably five times this year. So cities of refuge, let me give you a brief overrun, and we'll go through this chapter pretty quick. They are on the east side of the Jordan. They have not come into the promised land yet. They're about to. And he's told the folks that didn't want to go over, that wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan, that you need to build three cities spread out of refuge. These are places where if you accidentally kill somebody or purposely kill somebody, either way, you run to these cities so that you can get a fair trial before the avenger of blood, the brother, or whoever wants to take vengeance on you, catches you, right, takes you out. So you've got these cities. So you had to be in shape, too. You'd be seven miles away. You better be able to run. So you got these cities. So we're going to talk about the next three that he's going to put on the other side, on the west side of the Jordan, in the promised land, okay? So that's what he's talking about. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit 
that, the, that any manslayer may flee there. And now he gives us an example of a manslayer. Manslaughter is unintentional killing of somebody, if you didn't know. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that he might live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, um, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips off from the handle, and he strikes his neighbor so that he dies. Now, I don't know if he's got something in mind. That's pretty specific. Okay, so you're walking in the woods, and Moses just gives us this great anecdote. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, while, uh, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not uh, hated the victim in the past. Now, this is odd for us, okay? Understand that. I mean, can you, I get this picture in my mind of what's happening. There you are in the city, and you see two guys running down the road towards the city. And you oh man, come on, you know, you're almost here, you're almost, oh, he caught him. Or, you know, yeah, oh, he's so close. It's just a, a violent time. I mean, you think the Wild West was bad. This was nuts. I mean, you didn't soak your axe like you're supposed to to get that wood to swell and hold that hand and you go, it's light. Oh, Bob. And Bob's down, you know. And Bob's brother's standing next to him going, you know, and you got to start running. You, I hope it's close. And they had a law where you had to keep these roads open and clear and straight so that you could get there. No hindrances, you know, no logs to jump over and stuff. It had to be a really nice road so you could run. And so here they come running. You could see everybody on the wall. Come on, Bob. You know, cheering for them. What a nutty time to live. You know what he's doing, though? He's protecting them from vigilantism. We don't want that to take place. He's trying to establish law. He's trying to establish rules, time, facts, not emotions involved. He wants to establish that law. And so he gives them this uh, to do. So here's, set up these cities, make sure they're not too far away so that, you know, um, you can make it there or whatever. Um, and so that you don't, you don't do that. Now, verse 11, but... If anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. So if it's premeditated murder and you did it on purpose, obviously it's premeditated it's on purpose, um, then you don't, it's not just a base, it's not base. I made base, you know. No, you're still going to get a trial, and we're going to find out the facts, and we need two or three witnesses, and then you're still going to, you're going to get stoned or however they decide to kill him. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. I want this put away. I want this innocent blood put away. And what he's doing there by setting up these rules is he is stopping vigilantism. Um, when you realize there's going to be justice, he may make it to that city, but I'm going to plead my case and they're going to find out the facts and I brought my two or three witnesses. He, I don't have to be emotional about it. It's going to happen. You know that the facts are going to be heard and he's going to be found guilty. Um, you can stop that vigilantism. Like I've got to catch him before he gets there kind of thing. It's no longer a race. God wants to establish that. You can see that when justice is perverted though, how you can, that, that move towards vigilantism almost feels right in your heart. Like, yeah, you know, that's okay. We've got that happening in our country right now. It's, it's not totally gone yet. We're not completely to vigilantism, but we do cheer awfully loudly when the guy gets shot in the store, at the house, in the act. Whew. 
And here's what I mean. Not, not, that, not that he shouldn't have. Don't misunderstand me. If he's guilty, he's guilty. He shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been. It's our cheering that's raising red flags for me. Because here's what they say. They say, good, then we're not wasting taxpayer money on all the trials he's going to get, all the appeals he has, the cable TV. All the, this is what I hear, the cheering. And they're saying that justly. Understand that. I understand where it's coming from because justice isn't being served anymore. It's delayed. It's prolonged. There's plea bargains. They're, they're bringing down the charges, even though he's absolutely guilty of first-degree murder. They brought it down to second or even manslaughter in some cases. Are you kidding me? And so you can see that vigilantism rise up in hearts because justice. And God says, no, your eye shall not pity him. I don't want you to let this slide because that will produce vigilantism in the hearts of everybody else and it causes corruption. I want this done right. Those judges had a huge responsibility. It didn't matter who was in front of you. If they're guilty, they're guilty, you see. And so he puts that in here for them. We're going to hit that again at the end here. Property boundaries, verse 14. It's only one verse, but important. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. They're going to divide up into areas. You're going to set these posts. Um, we have some of them around our county here in Nottaway, and I'm sure all over. Those big, huge concrete posts, they've got dates on them and everything. Those are on the corners of the property. They're big like that, so people can't move them easily. Nevertheless, somebody's going to try to move them, and God knows that every year, you know, maybe bump it a foot when you pass by it with your plow. Oh, I don't know how that got moved, you know. And six years later, you've got a half acre now if you did the whole, you know, did it on both ends. You've just moved your six feet over. You've got this whole strip now that's yours. Wait a minute, I'm shrinking, you know. God says, don't do that. I'm so glad for GPS now. I love it. Absolutely love it. You can put that pin in the ground. They bury that pin. Your neighbor can come up, dig that pin up and move it. Makes no difference. They Hey, someone moved that pin. They put the GPS there, it's over here, and they put it right back where it's supposed to be. You can't even move the boundary markers anymore. Um, but back then they did. Now, besides the obvious land issue here, there is a spiritual issue. We've been given boundaries personally as Christians. Right here. Do not go beyond what's written. I don't care what you experience. It's wonderful. It's for you. I, it's between you and God. But I don't have to believe what you've experienced if it's not in God's Word. I've got boundaries here. I don't move from these eight corners. There's eight, bottom to four and top four. I don't move from these eight corners. This is, this is my home. This is where I stay. I don't care what happens to you. Well, I, 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 the gold dust fell from the ceiling and gave me gold fillings. Well, congratulations. That's amazing that God didn't heal your tooth and decided to give you a filling instead. Um, that was a joke because he would heal the tooth. Um, that's up to you. It's not in Scripture. I don't, have to be, I don't have to believe it. God's given us these boundaries, and I don't want to move these ancient landmarks that God's given us. That's right. He's given us landmarks. We don't go beyond them. We don't take away from them either. We don't move them in. We don't move them out. He is who he is, and he stays there. Verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of... Uh, I'm sorry. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. In other words, if you're the only person that saw it happen, we don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know. We want two or three witnesses because we don't know if you have a vendetta. We don't want it to be your word against his word because there's nothing we can do about it as judges. Bob says he didn't. Fred says he did. Sorry, guys. Unless you, Fred, you've got two or three more witnesses or one or two more witnesses, it doesn't count. And that's because he doesn't want our, our uh, reputation maligned. He doesn't want us to have uh, character assassinations taking place, okay? Um, it's going to be this way or that. 
so here's what God does with this. Um, it keeps people from just having a hot temper and wanting to get somebody in trouble. But he's also not so concerned with catching every guilty party. It very well could have been something that Fred saw, but he had no witnesses. This is where your trust in God needs to come into play. Because if I trust God to expose whatever he wants to expose, there will be two or three witnesses. If there's only one witness, it may be true, it may not be true, but I'm going to trust God that if it's something that needs to come to light, he'll make sure two or three people see it. And so you trust God in these matters. What he's making sure is not happening is that an innocent person is getting taken out. I need two or three witnesses. Okay. Now, we have the exceptions. You can get a conspiracy going, just like with Jesus. They had witness after witness try to come in, and none of them could keep their stories straight. But the judge really wanted to get some false testimony, and so he took whatever he could take and ended up finding a couple guys that would agree. And once they got to the blasphemy issue of God, they went ahead and crucified Christ. That was good enough for them. Um, but as far as we're concerned, as far as judging concerns, you need to have two or three witnesses. Otherwise, you let it go. I think that's a good thing. I don't have to worry about it. Um, I don't have to make sure every, every single sin is you're busted, you know, kind of thing. If God wants to bust somebody, he'll make sure they're busted. But how do I know he's not giving them grace and mercy? How do I know he's not letting things go because there might be repentance in this person's future? I mean, he gave all the, all the nations that they're going to get evicted out of the land got to stay there 400 years guilty. That's generations of people because he was gracious and merciful and long-suffering and hoping that they would repent. I got to trust God. And so he says, if there's just one witness, I don't want to hear it. Two or three, fine. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry indeed. If the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. In other words, whatever you accuse somebody of, you better be right. You better make sure. Better not be just your hot temper, because if you're wrong, it's going to come back on you. The exact charges are going to come back on you. Not the charge of being a false witness, the charge that you charge the other with. So if you're a horse thief, you're going to be a horse thief at the end of this if you're a liar, and so on. Um, and so he, he puts that in there. Now it causes everybody to slow down a little bit. Did I really see what I thought I saw? Am I sure? Am I just mad? Because if I'm wrong and I'm found out that I'm wrong, or if I'm a liar and I'm found out I'm a liar, I'm going to be in bigger trouble than the other guy was. You know, um, No one's ever going to believe you again, first of all, and you're going to have those charges against you. So it slows everybody down. And those who remain shall hear and fear. Um, they're going to learn from that. So it's a deterrent also for everybody else to say, you know, I'm not going to bring false charges against anybody. And hereafter, they shall not again commit such evil among you. Verse 21, very important. Your eyes shall not pity. We want to pity, don't we? I don't want your eye to pity, he says, as judges. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It's real detailed there, real quick. Why? He's speaking to the judges. He's not speaking to me. He's not speaking to the avenger of blood. He's not speaking to us. He's speaking to the judges. You make sure that justice is served. And no more than that, life for life. You don't take out their whole family, uh, tooth for tooth. You don't knock out all their teeth if they knocked out one of yours, you know, is the idea. It's even. It needs to be even. Keep that fairness, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Matthew 5.38 is our last scripture. Jesus spoke on this. He's not removing the law. Some people think he is. He's not. 
He never removes the law. He fulfills it and completes it. But as he's going through these sins, he comes up to this very subject in Deuteronomy. In verse 38 of chapter 5 of Matthew, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you, and that's very important you understand who he's talking to. He is not talking to, Jesus is not talking to the judges of that day. He's talking to the individual vigilante. You've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. In other words, had it spread from the judges having to follow that law to people at home just following that law. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We don't even take them to the judges. We know what to do here. And they go ahead and do this. And there was vigilantism. He's saying, no, 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 no. As Christians, as followers of mine, as disciples of mine, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You see the difference? Vigilantism, Jesus says, no. I don't want that. I want you to turn the other cheek individually. Governmentally, though, judges-wise, absolutely not fair, even application of the law to every person, rich, poor, slave or free, man or woman, even, applied evenly, okay? And that's where we leave off this morning. All right. We're going to have communion now. I think we've got some time for that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, Paul tells us that um, he took the bread it was unleavened loaf of bread, and he broke it. And he says, take and eat as often as you eat this bread. Do this in remembrance of me. This is going to be my broken body for you. Now, he's talking about the next day. This is going to be my broken body. Um, and so by, by having this in their hands, it's not truly his broken body because it hadn't been broken yet. It's symbolic, obviously. Um, it was going to happen the next day. This bread that they were eating was truly just milk, flour, and well, no yeast, <laughs> and water, eggs, whatever else they mixed in with it. But that's it. And so you break this, and this is my broken body. It's symbolic. And the way my body is going to be broken on the cross, and if you believe on me, dying on the cross for your sins, it's going to affect you the same way this bread's going to affect you. You take this little piece of bread, you eat it. Guys, every one of us, after we eat this, in about 24 to 48 hours, it's going to be assimilated into our bodies and spread, and every cell is going to be a partaker of it. Every cell is going to get a little piece of that nutrient, okay, that comes from that bread. Understand that. Jesus said, just like me dying on the cross. You believe on me, it'll permeate and infect every area of your life. Your sin will be forgiven completely, okay? He also took the cup that same night, the cup that they were drinking from. He says, this cup is my new covenant, the covenant of my blood. It'll be shed for you as often as you drink this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. So not only is my body going to be broken for you, but my blood's going to be shed for you. And this is for you. I'm going to take the penalty upon myself. And I want you to understand that. It's an interesting thing, the law. The law is a shadow. The law is perfect. The law will never pass away. But the one casting the shadow of the law is Jesus. He is the law. When we read the law, we read the character and attributes of Christ. That's what's foreshadowing for us. We see that he, he doesn't commit adultery. He doesn't murder. He doesn't steal. These are the things that are pleasing to him. All of the law, Christ is. When Christ came and we believe on him for salvation, we're put in Christ. You're in the law. So when you're worried about, I haven't filled all the Old Testament, you don't have to worry about that because you're in Christ. You're in him. 
He's the vessel. He's the one. He's the completion, the fulfillment of the law. And when we have this bread and we have this cup and we eat it, it affects every part of us. It's no longer my righteousness, my ability to keep the law. It's his righteousness, his ability to keep the law. That's how we get into heaven. Now, the Bible also says, Paul also adds to this, don't eat or drink this meal that we're about to have in an unworthy manner. So be careful this morning. Here's what an unworthy manner is. You don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's an unworthy manner this morning. You don't believe that he's fulfilled the law for you. You don't believe that you're hidden in Christ. You don't believe that his righteousness has been imputed to you and that somehow or another you're going to get there based on how good you are. That's an unworthy manner. That's when you set the cup and the bread down, when you think you're getting into heaven based on your good works. On the other hand, Paul says, if you're one of those people, change, judge yourself now, he says. Because if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. And that's simply this, I'm guilty of sin. I'm guilty of breaking God's law. I've separated myself from God because of my disobedience, and I know that. But I also believe what Jesus said, that he died on the cross for my sins. And that my sin and my penalty was nailed to the cross and taken by him. And I no longer have any penalty and I no longer have any sin. I'm hidden in Christ. And that's why we eat or drink, to remind ourselves of this. Because I guarantee you, somewhere along your walk with Jesus, you've got it in your mind at times, and I've been pretty good today. I think I'm doing all right, you know. And that's when we, that's when we need this the most. We're not okay. We may be doing better. Our obedience may be getting better, you know, more obedient than we ever have been. Good. It should. We should grow and mature and become more holy as we fall in love with Jesus Christ more and more every day. We should become, uh, we are transformed into his image. We're being conformed into his image. Every day we should be growing closer to him. And that's a fact, but I still am not perfect. I still haven't risen to the occasion where I would never have needed Christ. We always need him. That's the worthy manner that you eat in this morning worthy to have this meal if you're a sinner saved by grace. That's who's worthy. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this little meal you've given us. You've given us this as a reminder that we would never trust in our own strength or in our own abilities, our own good works, but only in yours, God. And so today we acknowledge that again. Every month we acknowledge it, or as often as we do this, we might be doing it at home too, but as often as we eat this bread or drink this cup, Lord, we, we do this in remembrance of you and your perfection, and your righteousness, and your holiness, and your completion and fulfillment of the law, God. And we're hidden in you, and we thank you for that. And so, Lord, thank you for being our Lord and Savior. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's eat. If you're visiting, we crack our glasses afterwards. So don't be surprised. Here's why. We're like vessels, and we're cracked vessels. But it's in those cracks, it's in our sin, it's in our failures and our weaknesses that Christ shines through, and the world gets to see us. And so we're all cracked vessels, and that's why we do this. Ready? One, two, three.